this is God's word. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, <clears throat> those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch, and they spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. Greeting from the, the saints at Church on Mill. That's where my wife and I are members over there with uh, Chuck's brother, and so I'm thankful for the upgrade today on the better brother. So, um, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, no, I love Chuck. He's great. Uh, so, uh, just a couple of uh, things that I usually forget to do. Um, one of the intentional ways that we're trying to get the word out on the church, so a simple way that you can help. I'll talk more about this later, why we are doing this, but uh, you can follow us on social media. So Mosaic Mesa, um, if you are social media, I know some people are like staying away from it now because it's from the devil, but um, but uh, yeah, but or, uh, or just trying to minister better to your own soul. So, uh, but if you do are on social media and you'd like to go on there and push likes and stuff like that and comment, that does help boost our uh, output, you know, that people will see our advertisement more, that there's a new church starting in Mesa. So it's a little simple way that you can get the word out that there is a new church that you support that is starting in Mesa. So if there's people you know in Mesa who live close to Mesa, that's an easy way for them to, uh, to kind of learn about this new work. So that's an easy way you can support. Um, we have a website too, so mosaicmesa.com. There's a little QR code on those things that Chris put out in the back. So... Um, and then uh, greetings from my family. As I told you, I've got the, the four kids, Amy and uh, Abby is here. And then we also have someone from our team, Chandler, our first team member here. Uh, he's a student over at uh, Phoenix Sim, and so we're thankful that uh, he is here today as well. So he and his wife, Kelly, are part of our team along with their son, Cohen. So, all right. Um, so we're going to be at Acts 13 today, and we're going to be looking at the idea of deliberate church planting, deliberate church planting. And, you know, when you, when you think, when I think about that concept, when I think about something deliberate, the opposite I, I think of is something that's like accidental, right? Like, let's say, you know, you're, you're walking along, you know, at work and there's like some flowers out and somebody says, hey, do you want to take these home? And you're like, uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, what, what am I going to do with them? They say, oh, give them to your wife. They're like, oh, yeah, 
I, I could do that. Um, so you take the, the flowers home, and your wife, you know, you give them to her, and she's like, oh, thank you. You were thinking of me. Yeah, actually, somebody at, at church or at work told me to bring these to you. Yeah, I thought you might like them. You know, not the same as like, hey, I went online. I wanted to communicate to my wife, you're somebody special and very dear to me. And I had some flowers sent to the house. And then the flowers show up. And she's, thank you. And he's like, oh, sweetie, I just wanted to express to you how much I love you. And just how I feel so blessed and humbled that you get to be a part. That's deliberate versus accidental, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's, I took the time to really set out and intentionally do something to communicate to someone, hey, I really care, right? Maybe this has happened for you when it comes to like texting, right? That you're going to send this encouraging text message to a friend that you know you haven't seen in a while or, you know, that's having a hard time and you send them a scripture verse and a little promise from God and say, I just wanted to encourage you and you send it to the wrong person, and the person says, oh, thank you for sending this. I'm glad you were thinking of me. Actually, I didn't mean to send that to you. I meant it to send us. Oh, okay. Well, that, that now puts a little different. But yeah, I still want that stuff for you too, uh, right? Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of that, that someone sends you a text message and, you know, they say, hey, how are you doing? I just wanted to check in on you. Oh, thanks for checking in. I haven't heard from you in a while. Oh, yeah, actually, I typed the wrong name in. I didn't mean to send that to you, right? Something deliberate versus accidental, is important, right? So it, it could still be a blessing if it's accidental, but it's not the same if it's something deliberate, right? Well, here's the, the big idea I think that we're going to see here is I think here in Acts 13 is this is the place in the New Testament where we see the first deliberate effort by God's people to plant churches. This is the first time, as far as I can tell from reading the Bible my whole life. This is the first time in church history in God's redemptive people that his people set out to intentionally plant churches. And so here, here, here's the, the thing that um, I would love for us to, to ponder, the pebble I'd like to put in our shoe that we can walk around with this week to think on, to ponder on, to wrestle with would be this. If we truly care about the Great Commission, then I believe we will deliberately plant churches. If we truly think that we care about the Great Commission, the commission that our Lord and Savior left for the church to do, for his disciples, his followers to do, then we will deliberately plant churches. Because I believe that the Great Commission is the call to plant churches. So let's break that down, all right? So if we were to go back and we were to look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Some of you might have it memorized. Some of you might be very familiar with it. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to kind of read a couple of key statements here that says in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples or students, followers, apprentices of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, this is the final thing. This is the final commandment. This is the final charge that Jesus gives his disciples, his followers, his apprentices to say, carry on my mission. Make disciples, make students, make followers of me, and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And then the reason he gives that is because that's the way to flourishing. That's the way to true life. That's the way to success. That's the way of Jesus. Now, what we see is when you take that commandment and you couple it next to the book of Acts, 
this is where we're starting to see his followers, his students, his apprentices fulfilling that, right? But the thing is, is we don't see them do this deliberately. Uh, they see, we see them do this deliberately among the Jews, right? Pentecost, a lot of people come to faith. They start discipling. They start meeting together regularly. They start becoming the church. But they don't take it to the nations. And what did he say? Go there and make disciples of all the nations. So it's happening among the Jews, but it's not made its way out yet into the rest of the nations, into the, red, the rest of the ethnic groups. But in Acts 8, we see that persecution breaks out. There in Acts 8, right after the stoning of Stephen. And it says here uh, in the second half of verse 1, and there arose a great day of persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So they're scattered, right? Persecution breaks out, and they start fleeing and going to other different regions. And then if you were to skip down to verse 4, and it says those who were scattered went about doing what? Preaching the word, proclaiming the word, sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as they're scattered, they're going and they're making disciples. Okay? So they're doing the great commission. All right? And this is starting to spread outside of just the Jews. But once again, why did this happen? Because persecution broke out. It wasn't because they said, hey, Let's go start fulfilling the Great Commission and take the gospel to the nations. We should start scattering, right? Because, I mean, we saw 3,000 people come to faith, right, at the Pentecost. And then, yet, but it kind of stops there, right? It doesn't, there's not a spreading. There's not a going out deliberately. At least not yet. Now, we see it maybe individually. You can see Philip does this in Acts 9. Peter seems to have an experience in Acts 10 where he goes to a man named Cornelius and leads him and his family to Christ, but there's no deliberate church planting corporate effort yet at this point. And so that's what I think brings us to the significance of what's happening here in Acts 13. That's all the background to understand what's bringing us to this moment in Acts 13, the significance of this moment. So I want to look at Acts 13 by looking kind of like through three phases here of what I see happening three observations that I've made as I was meditating on Acts 13, that I want to look at the anticipation of the mission. I want to look at the response to the mission and the sacrifice for the mission. Okay, so first we have the anticipation of the mission, then we'll look at the response to the mission, and then the sacrifice for the mission. So first, let's look at the anticipation of the mission. Where do I get this idea of anticipation from? Well, it's, it gives a list of a bunch of what seems to be leaders of this church in Antioch. And in verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay? So, what are these leaders, that list of leaders, the Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, a lifetime uh, friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul? What are they doing? They're worshiping the Lord and fasting. Okay? And the observation that we, we make here is they're getting ready to, to plant churches for the first time that we want to say is a little kind of 
side note to here to remember is that we think about mission, what fuels mission, what fuels church planting is namely, first, worship and prayer. Right? They're intentionally worshiping the Lord and fasting. And what's fasting? Fasting is a concentrated prayer. It is a dedicated prayer. It's consecrated to the Lord. It's in a what I call a spiritual anticipation. It's a longing to hear from God. A concentrated effort to say, what's next, Lord? So fasting, different than other religions, Christian fasting is not about emptying ourselves of impurities. That's what other religions tend to do. They say, oh, come, we kind of want to get rid of sin and yuckiness, and so we want to fast. No, Christians don't fast to do that. We fast to get filled up. We, want, we say, I want to be closer to God. I want to, God to, to draw near. So this is an intentional effort that they're saying they're worshiping, they're seeing revival break out in Antioch. Lots of people are coming to faith. You know, lot, they're, they're, they've got all these key leaders, and God seems to be doing a real renewal and revival work in Antioch. And so they're saying, what next? What next? What next? What next? What do you want us to do, Lord? There's an anticipatory act that's going on here. They really want to hear from the Lord. Now, if you go back to... Verse 1 here, this is just a cool little, little thing here that, you know, uh, means a lot to me. I think it should mean a lot to all of us. Uh, now, <laughs> we're, they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, which I said that, that those two titles seem to be, emphasize, I think, some type of functional leadership here. And then they're listing off the leaders. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. That's another way of saying Simeon was black, dark-skinned guy from Africa, Okay. Lucius of Cyrene, which is this to say he's Greek. Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we have at least two Jewish guys here. We have an African guy, and we have a Greek guy. Well, what do we see here? This is probably the first multi-ethnic church, multi-ethnic leadership that we see in church history. I mean, to me, that's a pretty exciting thing, that this commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28 is happening here in Acts 13. The nations are coming to faith, and not only that, but there are mature believers in each one of those ethnic groups that are rising up. These are really gifted leaders. Like if we, uh, I don't remember my sister's name who read it. Mary, Mary, yes, Mary, who <laughs> wrote the text, read the text for us today. We already saw that in Antioch, revival's breaking out, and what does the church in Jerusalem do? They send an emissary, right? They send an ambassador there named Barnabas to go and check to see, okay, is this a real work of the Spirit? Is this the true faith? Is this the true gospel? He goes and does research, and he says, wow, revival is breaking out here. And he's so excited, he stays. He's also so excited, he goes and recruits another talented theologian, a guy named Saul, who later becomes named Paul. And he recruits him to come there and to help with the teaching and the discipleship. Those are the same two guys here at the bookends, right? So the, the emissary who comes from Jerusalem is listed here. The guy they brought in, the talented theologian they brought in to help with the discipleship and the teaching is on the other end. And so these are really gifted leaders, and yet, what are they doing? Worshiping and fasting. 
These are not two people who say, okay, well, I, I know how to hear from God. I got it mastered. No, they're desperately anticipating, we want to hear from you, Lord. What's next? What's next? What do you want us to do? They have this anticipatory heart that they want to continue to carry on the mission of God, of taking the gospel to the nations, but they don't know what to do. You know, uh, I really love my kids, right? And um, when they have a birthday coming up, or when they know Christmas is coming up, and we go to the store, or if we're just hanging out at the house, they'll come to me, and they'll make requests. Hey, Papa, can I get this thing? Can I get this for my birthday? Can I have this experience for my birthday? Can we do this during Christmas? Can I get this for Christmas? What are they doing? They're anticipating this thing that's coming and they're seeking and they're going to the person that they believe that can provide an answer. They're anticipating and they're seeking help to to the things that they believe will bring them true joy and flourishing. Well, how does Jesus encourage us to come to him? Like children. And so I think we see something here in these leaders that they're going to their heavenly father. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? What do you want? Please, can you, can just, we want to, we, we, we got an idea of what we want to do, but we, we, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. We want to get a word. We want to get a word. We want to get a word. That's how kids talk, right? They're just, it's almost kind of annoying sometimes. They're just like, they keep coming and coming and coming and coming. But you're, if you're a loving parent, right? <sighs> yes, <laughs> I will hear your request again. You know, oh, let me think about it. We'll decide if we've got the budget. <laughs> we might get it for you. Well, this is how we should come to our Heavenly Father, anticipating. Do we want to hear from Him? I don't know about you, but there's seasons of my in my soul, where God seems distant, far. And it's hard to get clarity and say, God, I I just want to know what next step to take. I want to know how I'm supposed to intentionally disciple my children or or how, you know, what's what's the next thing I should do for that date night for me and my bride? I just want his help. I need his help. Like, I want to plant a church, but I can't do it without him. <laughs> if he doesn't go with me, I can't go. Like, it's, it's not going to work. Do we have this anticipatory heart when it comes to the mission of God? What next? What next? What next? What do you want me to do? Like we see here in Acts. Uh, We've looked at the anticipation of the mission. Well, let's look at the response. What do these leaders do? Back to verse 1. Now in the church in Antioch, we see the the prophets and the teachers, and we've looked at that list there. And what does it say in verse 2? While they were worshiping, fasting, the Holy Spirit said... 
So God spoke. They're worshiping and fasting, and God does give them an answer. And what is that answer? Set aside or set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. All right? Well, what's that work? Well, the work actually was given previously in the book of Acts. That's why he doesn't have to say it again. We already know what the work was. If you go back to Acts 9, when Saul is first called to faith in Christ, we see that a man named Ananias was called to go and to lay hands on this man named Saul who was a persecutor of the church. And Ananias is like, you want me to do what? On the guy who's trying to kill us and throw us in jail? You want me to go lay hands on him and pray for him? Be like going like a, a Jew going to a Nazi, you know? I mean, it's just like, no, this is not a good idea. He says, yes, I want you to go lay hands on him. And what does, why does Jesus say, why does God say you've got to go to Saul? Well, it says here in 9.15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So why does God call Saul? He's going to be the first church planter to the nations, to the Gentiles, to those outside of the children of Israel, outside of the Jewish nation. And so there's a sense where you can say here what's happening is what Saul already knew the leaders of this church are now coming to know through worship and fasting, intentional seeking of the Lord. This was already said back in Acts 9. I mean, most scholars would would say that they're kind of making a guesstimate that between Acts 9 and Acts 11 is probably about 14 years. Okay? So this is a long time before the church gets on board for what God's already told Saul he's going to do. But it comes from intentional praying and seeking and fasting, going hard after the Lord. And notice the the language there. It says in verse 2, while they were worshiping. And if you go down to verse 3, then after fasting, they laid their hands. They laid their hands. So what we see here is it's not just an individual sense that Saul has to go plant churches. There is a corporate call along with his individual call. You see, I grew up in a tradition um, where they tend to prop up the individual call as, oh, whatever you think the Lord's telling you to do, go do it. But I I just don't, the older I've gotten, I just don't see that in Scripture, that there's a sense where it, yes, that needs to be there, but I think it's so much more beautiful when there is a laying hands and an affirmation of God's people to say, yes, we are behind this as well. And that's what we see here in Acts 2, or Acts 13, verses 2 and 3 is that Saul already had the call, but now God's people are also having the same call. 
And so the great theologian John Stott once said, it's, it's not just individualism, and it's not just institutionalism. Like you can also see in other traditions that they just send ministers to different places without having a sense of that minister wants to go. <laughs> well, you just need to go. We're telling you to, this is your new post over here. And so what we see in scriptures, there's a healthy balance of, of both, right? Of individual call and institutional call. So it's they set them apart. They laid hands on them. So churches send individuals. The spirit and the church should work together. There should be an affirmation of God's people to go. So what we see is, is that Saul is ready to go. He's responding to God's call. He already responded back in Acts 9. And now the church is responding to God's call. So when my kids make the requests for the birthday experiences or the Christmas experiences or the birthday presents or the Christmas presents, what are they expecting in return? A response from the parent, <laughs> right? Expecting, like, I'm, I'm seeking this and I'm expecting to, to get an answer, to get a word. Well... There's a sense here where, where God has given us his response already. Maybe not in a unique individualistic way, but we've already looked at Matthew 28. The call of every disciple is to go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and obey all that he's commanded and he will be with us in this endeavor until the end of the age. Well, as I've said earlier, I think this commission is the commission to go plant churches. Now, why would I say that? Well, if we go and make disciples and we're making healthy disciples, not just individualistic, like, you know, modernistic, meta, you know, disciples, right? <laughs> But healthy, biblically robust disciples, what are those disciples going to start doing when we disciple them? Right? If there's new believers coming to faith in Christ, what do they start doing? They start getting together, living in community. Start holding each other accountable. There's, there's, there's some teaching. There's usually leadership that arises among their midst. So as renewal and revival is kind of breaking out, and they're forming together into this little faith community, what would we call that? church. <laughs> and so groups of disciples are churches. <laughs> so I think the great commission that God gave every disciple is the commission to go start churches. It's really that simple in my mind. You ask me, John, why did you get into church planning? The great commission. <laughs> Jesus told me to go make disciples. There's, some, there's a pocket over here. There doesn't seem to be a lot of disciples, or at least not a lot of healthy disciples, so I'm going to go over there and make some disciples. <laughs> it's quite that simple. So I don't think the complexity that we can sometimes do with church planning is it, it's not that complicated. It's really just a call to go make disciples. 
And when those disciples form and get together and start doing life and community and accountability and, you know, there's teaching, leadership, all of these kinds of things, it grows into a church. And so there's a sense where what I'm saying here, when it comes to response to the mission, we all have a responsibility to carry out the Great Commission, to make sure that churches are being planted and more disciples are being made. So we've looked at the anticipation of the mission. We've looked at the response to the mission. And what does it finally take here that we see here in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3? The sacrifice for the mission. Now look with me again in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, what did the Holy Spirit say? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Your pastor, Chris, has already highlighted this. In a lot of senses, a lot of what I'm saying today is it's not a lot of new stuff here, guys. I mean, it's stuff I know you guys, you've already been taught. Chris has done a good job of discipling and preaching and teaching these things here. So I'm just here to refresh us, right? So I want to come alongside of what Chris is saying here. And if we go back and we look at Acts 11 that Miss Mary read to us earlier, here's again what it says. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, what was happening in Antioch. This is verse 22. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they send the emissary. Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. Right? So he sees what's kind of going on there, and he says, oh, man, this is, this is good stuff. So he goes and recruits a talented theologian named Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So that's the people that they brought in to help with this revival, like revival's breaking out and they needed some solid teaching. So they bring in Barnabas, they bring in Saul and they're helping the people grow. And I love this little statement by the author, Luke. Place where they're first called Christians. A term we just throw around today. (laughs) It's the first place it happens. I mean, these people are growing so much that they say, oh, these are like all little Christ people. (laughs) These are like all little Jesus people. The first time that's ever said about followers of Christ. These are like little Christs, (laughs) which is what the Christian means. And so who do they ask or who does the Holy Spirit say, hey, set aside these people to go continue that work? The guys they brought in to really grow these people up. These are no scrubs. This is some of the best and brightest of their church. And the Holy Spirit said, set aside some of your top two draft picks to go start a new church. And then notice their response. They've already been fasting and praying. Verse 2, and the Spirit said that, set aside Barnabas and Saul. Then verse 3, then after fasting and praying, so they do it again. We want to make sure we really heard them right, because you said Barnabas and Saul. That's a big deal. <laughs> so let's really make sure we heard you correctly. 
So they fast and pray. They concentrate prayer again, and then they lay hands on them and send them off. So what are they doing? They are deliberately commissioning them to go. That laying of hands is an affirmation, right? So they fast and pray again, and then they lay hands to affirm, yes, this is what the Spirit's saying, and they send them off. And the send off is the word release or send away. And they're going with their blessing. So as we continue with the, the path here of considering the, the Pope Pack children, right? That's what I call my, my family, the Pope Pack. They come with their requests during birthdays and Christmas and, and uh, all these kinds of things, right? Easter, whatever. They're expecting a response. And then what does the parent know it's going to take to fulfill the request? Sacrifice. Hard-earned money. I might have to spend a little extra this month to bless my children. Might have to go off our budget to create a good experience for them so that we can have a meaningful family memory. And especially in this present economy where things are not cheap, it may requires real sacrifice to bless someone else, doesn't it? And we have to remember, I mean, Antioch is not a huge church. It's not like the, the Church of Jerusalem. But they are a deliberate church, an intentional church. And they understand the sacrifice that's being asked of them here. So planting churches, they understand, requires everyone to be ready to make the sacrifice. So just so we kind of we really understand the context of what's going on here, this is like... God saying to Whitnav, I want you to send Chris Newkirk to go with the popes to Mesa to plant a church. That's like the level of sacrifice we're talking about. <laughs> That's huge. I mean, I'm assuming you really love the Newkirks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that it's not like, oh, yeah, we'd be happy to get rid of them. Yeah. That's asking a lot. This is our shepherd. This is our teacher. This is the one who's helping us to truly grow and treasure Christ more. But that's what's being asked of the church in Antioch. So Antioch's not a big, huge church, but they're a deliberate and sacrificial church. And as we consider all of that, as we consider about the anticipation of the mission, the response to the mission, and the sacrifice for the mission... If you're like me, I have to ask myself, I come to a text like this, I see all these little observations, I say, wow, this is a, this is a big deal, right? They want to hear from God, they're, they're expected to have a response and to make sacrifices to continue to carry on God's mission. Well, how do they do that? Like, that's a big deal, <laughs> all that. Earnestly seeking the Lord together, 
being expected to respond. When God says it, we're going to do it. And then we understand the, the weight and the sacrifice. So what's the fuel? Like, what's the thing? What's the, the, the drive that's going to get them to go? <laughs> well, I think it's the gospel. And as I ponder this, as I meditate on this text, and I think about it in light of the gospel, here's what I see. Scripture tells us Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And before he comes in the incarnation, what do you think he's doing up there? Hey, is it time for me to go? Is it time for me to take on flesh? <laughs> like, I'm ready. Send me whenever you, when, you, when it's the right time, send me. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, is sitting there anticipating, ready to be sent, knowing it's the plan of redemption. And we know from Galatians 4 and Ephesians 1 that it was God's plan from the beginning to send the Son into the world to redeem a people to himself. And what does Jesus do when it's finally time to go? Right? Jesus keeps anticipating, right? Like, is it time? Is it time? And then the father one day says, hey, it's time to go. What does Jesus do? He responds. He goes willingly, takes on flesh, comes to earth, walks among us, lives the perfect life. So Jesus is anticipating his mission. He responds to his mission, and then he sacrifices for the mission, doesn't he? With the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, can you see that image right now of him in the Garden of Gethsemane? I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I understand the sacrifice, that this is the wrath of God that's about to come onto me for the sins of the world. He understands this is the ultimate sacrifice. And what does Jesus do? He responds and he goes to the cross. He says, not my will, but yours. Not what I'm feeling in my flesh right now. I'm tempted. But I want to be an obedient son until the end. That's why the writer of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, says he was the obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. I think that's the fuel here for these, these leaders in Antioch. I see Jesus has this faithful, anticipatory heart. He responds when God tells him, and he's willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. So anything we do fails in comparison. We're never going to make that kind of sacrifice. <laughs> right? Like, I can't die for your sins. I'm a sinful man. <laughs> But can I sacrifice so that I can, so that God gets more glory and more people get more joy? That they can come to know and treasure Jesus Christ? Yeah, I can make sacrifices to do that. Because it always will fail in comparison to the sacrifices Jesus has made. So God cared enough 
to deliberately and sacrificially send his son into the world. Do we care enough about God to deliberately and sacrificially go and to take the gospel to the nations? Because if we say we believe the Great Commission, I think that's what we got to do. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in worship. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for his anticipatory heart that he sits right there at the right hand of the Father, ready to do whatever you ask of him. Holy Spirit does as well. I'm thankful that what we see in the gospel of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, is that we see someone who was faithfully obedient to the end. And whenever you asked him to do something, he responded willingly. That him taking on flesh was a sacrifice to leave the comforts of heaven, to come here into our sinful world, to experience the rejection of the Father and the wrath of God fully at the cross, not because of anything that he did, but because of our sin. There is a glorious beauty that we see in his life and his death and his resurrection. And I pray that Above all else, if, if, if all people leave with today is just beholding the beauty of Jesus as more glorious, then that is more than enough. I don't, I don't care if they join our team or, or if they like, I don't give a rip about church planning. But if they behold the beauty of Jesus, like all of that will get figured out. And so I just hope and pray that Jesus was glorified today. And people will leave here with hearts more full of like, wow, Jesus truly is amazing. I can't ask for any more than that. Because that's, that's truly, that's all we need to make it to the end. And that's ultimately what we want. We want to make it to the end to be poured out like a drink offering like the Apostle Paul says. We want to finish our race well. But we, we do want to hear from you and say, what next? What's going to help more people to behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ more? And so if there's anything that we can do over these next few weeks or months or days or even minutes to help others behold the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would speak to us clearly about that and that we would respond in faith and we would make whatever sacrifices we need to make that happen. And I pray all this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.